Fermentation Co-op, and why do we have one in Worcester? It's April the 3rd, 2018, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. Our panel today is Dave Howland and Heather O'Dell from the Three Cross Fermentation Co-op, Brendan Malikin, and me, Michael Benedetti. Today we're talking about the city council agenda, finding $100,000 of drug money in an abandoned house, why bus ridership is down, and Worcester's new official city seal. Brent crude oil is $68 a barrel, up 1% on the week. Bitcoin is $7,300, down 6% on the week. You're listening to Unity Radio. Is this, Hank, is this better than before? That is sounding good. These headphones are super loud, sorry. You're listening to Unity Radio, broadcasting with 100,000 milliwatts of power on 102.9 FM and streaming... did you turn my microphone off? And streaming at WorcesterMag.com. I tried to get Worc- you a better volume. Worc- Worcester's Community Connection. This show is also cable-casted on WCCA-TV 194 and podcasted at pieandcopy.org. You can call in live at 508-471-5265. And thanks to the mighty Hank Stoltz for engineering today's show. This is your first day doing this, Mike? Well, no thanks to me yet, apparently. <laughs> you know, that that intro only takes a minute to read, but it feels like it takes an hour. It seems like it really drains you, too. You put a lot into that. Well, I, what? How are you doing, Brendan? Fantastic. Hi, Dave. You got it, Let's 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 practice talking to the mic. Hi, Dave. How's it going, Mike? <laughs> Good. Hi, Heather. How are you, Mike? Good. Is that? Are they being picked up? That that seems pretty good. That seems pretty good. All right. Terrific. Um, Mike, I'm already bored. You know, Hank, can we talk about the fact that I? Are we going to talk about what do you have going on this afternoon? Oh, oh, it's tonight. Tonight, what do you have after going on? after we watch the Wrath of Khan at uh, the Hanover Theater? I will be taking the stage with William Shatner. What is it going to cost to get um, autographs? Like, how much am I going to have to pay you? I don't think to he's. Do, I, I don't. I don't yeah, know, I know that he's doing right that. There, you I am going to be right there. Now, here, I think it could go. I'm going to be real quick on this, Mike. I think it could go two ways. I think why one are we is talking about Star Wars and Star Trek on this show. <laughs> I think one is is that I could really meet the guy. Yeah. I think two could be that I walk back there and the stage manager says, "Here's the deal. Mr. Shatner will come out. You will sit there. You will ask him some questions, and then at the end he will shake your hand and he's at you know he's like Elvis. Sure. He's in the limo and he's gone. Yeah. So I don't know how much I'm going to get to meet him. All right. Well, I've already seen some some photos uh, peppered around Facebook of him actually circulating around Worcester. So I'm hoping it's 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 the former, not the latter. I, I, I do too. To hang out. I yeah. do too. Bring your tribbles. <laughs> All right. Back to you, Mike. I'm sorry. Hi, hi guys. We're not going to talk about any more Star Wars or Star Trek. Don't worry about that. Um, so, Mike, did I tell you that yeah. I hung a new rebel flag from uh, Star Wars in front of the store today? Well, I saw that you had a. Uh, I thought saw no, that the you pirate, had a pirate flag, flag. The pirate flag came down yesterday. Uh, today, since we're leading, I couldn't find a good Avengers flag, uh, but I did find a uh, Rebel Alliance flag uh, that was reasonably priced. So that's uh, going to be hanging in front of the store until um, you know the Han Solo movie comes out. Oh, that sounds terrific. Yeah, just when you thought you were over Star Wars and Star Trek. Good job. Yeah, no more, no right. more. I got. I'm cutting mics. I don't have the control of the board, but I do have a knife. Um, <laughs> so I want to read the City Council agenda from the week, so we can talk about something I want. I care about. We want to talk about a, a fantasy world that I'm in, engaged in, the Worcester City Council. Uh, this week on the agenda, there is an item about guns. Mayor Petty has an item asking if the city can stop investing city pension funds in any company, quote, that derives more than 15% of its revenues from sales for non-law enforcement or non-military purposes for guns and ammo. Um this is so strange. I mean, I never think of the mayor as like particularly having an agenda or like particularly sticking his neck out on anything. And yeah. this gun thing, he's just like 100%. Like, yeah. let's do it. 
Let's shut it down. Let's shut these guns down, Brandon. Let's shut the pension fund down, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Who needs pensions? I don't Not me. Um, we have an item about lodging houses. Do you understand this item about lodging houses? I understand nothing about lodging houses, but I know it came from Councillor Bergman, so there has to be something sneaky going on here. If I was a real journalist, I would have emailed Mo Bergman last night. You know, Brendan, they say Mo Bergman, Mo problems, but I found Mo Bergman, Mo, Mo solutions. Actually, yeah, Mo's actually one of my favorite people. He's a great, council, he's so. a great counselor. He has. If I was a real journalist, I would have emailed him last night, but I was tired. He has an item on the agenda asking that existing multifamily homes not be considered lodging houses for city enforcement purposes, which I guess sounds seems reasonable. This is one of these things like making your own it, making it, your own driveway that I'm sure there's a backstory to that I do, I'm not aware of. I think it only sounds perfectly reasonable because we have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> there's one about marijuana laws, Brendan. Nice. The city, yeah, there you go. You love you love marijuana and you love laws. This is uh, after months and back of back and forth, the council will officially vote to change the city ordinances to reflect various suggestions and state mandates on how we handle marijuana establishments. Uh, I look forward to the, the, the dynamic body that is the Worcester City Council explaining to me exactly how marijuana can best be enjoyed within the limits of the city of Worcester. This I, is I have, certainly going to be an informative night. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not curious about this, but I guess there is an open question of whether there's going to be debate about this or whether they're just going to be like, it's all right. We've been talking about this for six months. And we still have no idea what we're talking about, uh, so let's yeah. just move on. Yeah. We've got a bunch of items. Uh, we got a couple of items about public and tr- private streets. The proposal to make Norton Street public has gone through all the requisite hearings, and the council will be able to officially vote that Norton Street is a public street. And uh, Mark Liriano is bringing Weldon Avenue onto the uh, onto the agenda and asking that this private street be made public, and it will now go through months of hearings. Welcome, private street owners, to the world of complaining about your street not being plowed by the city. Welcome, congratulations. Welcome, Norton Street. Um, we have a new zoning request, which is to clean up the zoning around Five Reeves Street, extending the amount of that that is residential and excluding all of it from the commercial corridors overlay district. And as with the public and private streets, we have a bunch of old requests, which are going to be finalized, finalized, finalized with a council vote regarding areas around 57 Highland Street, 452 Southwest Cutoff, and Ed Hyder's Market. Expansion's going down there in your neighborhood, right? Is that the intention? Is uh, that I don't know. I think we talked about that a couple weeks ago. They were looking to expand uh, the Ed Hyder's uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of, these, down there. Yeah, all of these things, I feel like, are like the marijuana laws in that, like, there has just been, like, I've written about them, we've talked about them on the show, and then, like, at this point in the process, I'm just like, I don't even remember anymore, you know? Like, oh, that's that's what we we excel at sucking the joy out of uh, out of otherwise exciting topics in Worcester. That's fantastic. Otherwise exciting topics like the zoning of 452 Southwest Cutoff. Finally, Brendan, I'll add some joy to this. Finally, Brendan, how are our taxis doing? Councillor Rosen has an item asking how the city's taxi medallion system is doing in this age of Uber and Lyft. I hope that this ends up being a uh, like a work program where that guy that we saw like once six years ago when we decided we were going to hire someone to walk around the city with a clipboard and poll all the panhandlers uh-huh. as to their quality of life, that yeah. we're going to get that guy back on the street. And he's going to go cab to cab asking, how's the cab business, guys? It's I, like, and yeah, that's that's how we're going to get this report. I think that guy was Bob Flanagan, who may be listening to the show. Hi, well, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Yeah. Bob, do you want to Expect talk? a phone call. <laughs> you might get to talk to a bunch of taxi drivers. Um Oh, so many other items going on this week, Brendan. Uh, bus, bus rider. We could talk about bus ridership being down. We could talk about Clear Channel. We could talk about the radio business, property tax cuts. It's all so thrilling. This is 
<laughs> roll the dice on on any of those. We could talk to three. We could talk to three cross. We should probably do that. Let's talk to three cross. Let me see if I can get the camera to go on them. Hi guys. Hey hi, hi, Heather and Dave. Um, you guys should stretch out those ear goggles and see if you can get them on both your heads. One there, of you should. One of you should listen through these because you'll oh, look you'll look cooler. I don't know. I don't really like wearing them, but now that I started wearing them, I wear them all the time. Hi, guys. How's it going? Your voice sounds fantastic through here. Isn't it so much better? It sounds yeah, so much better through here. Radio is magic, what it does to your to anyone's voice, really. It's, yeah. So 3Cross is a business in Worcester, which I think is notable both because of its success and because of its business structure. Would you agree or disagree? <laughs> <laughs> what an absurd opener. Go ahead and ask a question, tough guy. <laughs> Why don't you talk to, talk to us a little bit about what 3Cross is? Actually, because I know you've gone through some changes from a business model, but let's pretend that the people watching this, listening to this, have absolutely no idea what 3Cross is. Maybe they only know about it from a perspective of spoke patterns. But talk to us a little bit about what, what you folks are doing down off Cambridge Street in the home of the old playoff arcade, for those of us that are old enough and local enough to remember. Sure. I'm going to contend that no one knows what the spoke pattern is, and maybe a few more people know what 3Cross brewing is. But <laughs> uh, So I, I founded 3Cross... Uh, about three and a half years ago now. Okay. Um, it's a very small brewery. Uh, started off brewing on my old homebrew equipment, mm-hmm. so uh, not like your your big tanks that you'd see at Wormtown. And over the course of three years, where are you at now for uh, capacity? Uh, so I have uh, increased capacity about ten times from right. where I s- opened up. Uh, still very small, but... Uh, but relatively speaking, I mean, yep. you're also, I mean, you've got a, a large enough where there's distribution in a fair number of, uh, of venues in the city. It's yeah, we have some limited distribution in a, a couple of uh, hand-picked restaurants okay. around town. But any Is there any focus on particular styles of beer, or um, is it you just whatever? Yeah, uh, so I, I brew all the beers uh, still, mm-hmm. um, uh, and really it just whatever I want. And feel like feeling like drinking at the time. And what do you feel like drinking right now? Uh, well, it's a little, a little early right now. No, but it's <laughs> quarter past one. We're totally solid. We're 100% in the clear. Mm, lately, I've been on, on a bit of an IPA kick. Okay. So. See, I'm going the other direction. I, yeah. I'm I, I I'm getting really really I don't it's bored isn't the right word, but there's some, I feel like my taste buds are just going numb to, to hops and IPA, and now suddenly like goes and sours are the things that are getting me all excited. Well, sure, but yeah. Uh, Kicks last for a very short time with me. Mm, uh, that's true. Other way on here. Goes our IPA. Where are we going? Um, I'm all over the place depending on what the weather's like. If it's sunny or cloudy, warm or cold. Um, Today it's like partly overcast with a 30% chance of rain. What would that? Where would that put you? That's going to put me um, with the Imperial Amber that Dave just put out. All right. The Cannibal. Um, it's got a lot going on. It's hoppy. It's malty. It's not too sweet. It's higher alcohol percentage than the uh, the average amber. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm feeling. We mentioned jo- in passing as a joke the um, spoke pattern. Okay, just talk for a minute, though. I mean, that is kind of the theme of the, the brewery uh, on, on some level is an affinity for bicycles, right? Yeah. Uh, so I uh, have kind of been in the Worcester bike community for a while now. Uh, do a lot of riding. I worked at Bike Alley when it was around, uh, so I really wanted to kind of bring my two passions together uh, with the business uh, when I opened it up. So, uh, you know, Three Cross is a subtle but uh, definitely their reference to cycling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have uh, references all throughout the tap room, lots of de- decor that's bike related, and 
Uh, As I've mentioned to you, I think half of all of my fantasy bikes from back in the 90s are hanging on your walls. Like that IFAB mm -hmm. in particular is like the greatest thing. Yep. Yeah, heartwarming every time I see it. Well, those bikes are all part of a collection that belonged to a friend of ours, mm -hmm. um, Eric Baker, who's well known in the vintage cycling community. So, yeah, if you ever want one of those bikes, you'd probably want to talk to him. All right. All right. And Mike. you and you all are located down in Webster Square. That's right. In a spot that's incredibly hard to find. <laughs> and yet every time I go there, I think I usually go there whenever somebody's doing like a pop-up restaurant event. Every time I go there, it's super crowded. Good job. But, it, you know, it's one of those places that I think for a lot of Worcester folks, like, it is completely hard to find until you say the magic words. Oh, you know where Playoff Arcade used to be? And then, like, everyone knows exactly where, where it is. That's where I played skee-ball in my formative years uh, with my grandmother, who was a Webster Square resident, used to bring me down there a couple times a week to go play skee-ball. It was incredible. Yeah, and every time I walk into that space, you can, like, see in my head, you can still see the layout of where things were. Good stuff. So now my understanding is that is that operating a business is, has, is sometimes hard. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> and so, at some point in at some point in there, you say, you know what, this is too easy. I want to like change the legal structure of the business <laughs> and see if I can pull that one off. Right? Is this how it goes? Uh, well, the the change you're referencing actually was to do the opposite. It was to make things easier for me, anyway. Okay. Um, so for the most of the uh, Three Crosses lifetime, it's been me, myself, and I. Uh, Heather's been uh, working at the, uh, the tap room pretty much since the beginning, but uh, every other hat I, I wore. Uh -huh. uh, so when we converted to a cooperative, um, part of the idea behind that was to kind of help to spread the, um, the workload out a little bit in addition to the ownership. Um, so it's, you know, we're getting there, but... Uh, and so what, is that, so what does that look like whenever your business is a cooperative? Does that mean that, that like the, the employees of the business besides yourself also own a stake in the business? So it can mean a lot of different things. Um, in the case of Three Cross, what that means is that, um, yes, the, all the people that, that work at Three Cross are, uh, own a stake in the business, but uh, we've also opened up ownership to uh, members of the community, people that come in and enjoy our beer. Like Brendan. Like Brendan. Do you have? Do you want to show? Do you I want to show to, what yeah, it looks I'm like? I'm actually a little bit nervous about this though because if the word gets out, doesn't that just my? Do you want more people to, to to buy these or are these like a limited edition that are all sold out now? No, it's. Uh, there you go. Mike, you hold that up because you've got I'll the hold it up. the camera thing in front of you. There. Here it is. Yeah. So this is an ownership certificate of somebody in the community saying I now own. So they own part of Three Cross the, for 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 buying this. Mm -hmm. And so how does the so this doesn't make things harder for you from a management perspective now suddenly having a bunch of people besides yourself who have to who have who get to put their two cents in uh, well it, in some ways organizationally it makes things a little bit more complicated but um, the workload spread out a bit yeah more than it was so with different people taking charge of different things like um, let's say our charity of the month program that we have at the brewery um, where our consumer members and actually all members, so Dave, Jess, and myself will will nominate a charity um, and whichever charity that month has the most nominations gets chosen. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit of work for Dave to set up that part of the website, but then it pretty much, you know, runs itself. And okay. So that decision-making process is super easy 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that there's different ways that co-ops get set up. I think the first question people always ask is, what happens when Heather leaves? <laughs> like, dis, you know, and like takes another job somewhere else. Like, is, a, is there now a big stake of the equity that is in the hands of somebody who's no longer directly involved in the business? Uh, well, in the case of uh, workers in the co-op, uh, uh, if a worker leaves, um, their shares are repurchased by the, the cooperative. Okay. Um, so... Uh, so by so by that aren't actively working in the in the business. Okay. So by so by taking a job there, does this mean that somebody has to has to uh, you know buy a share in the business to work there? Um. So there's a provisional period of, uh-huh. uh, of a year. Uh, so anybody that gets hired, uh, they have sort of a, a waiting period before okay. they're eligible okay. to to become a, an owner. Of the business. Okay, so and, so so, and then at that and then at that point, they can decide. Do I? Is somebody can somebody work there after a year? Does the person basically have to say, "I'm buying in" or "I'm moving on," or or they could work there for five years and never never buy a stake? Uh, the intent is for everyone that works there to, to be an owner. Okay. I mean, I know I'm asking you a lot of questions which involve this business existing for like 30 years <laughs> and having hundreds of employees. But there are um, questions that we get asked on, yeah, on yeah. a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, I think because I think this is what people hear is they hear the idea of the co-op and they say, oh, this sounds really great. And then they start thinking about, there must be a downside. There must be a reason people don't do this everywhere. What could it be? What could it be? But what are some of the big upsides now that we've con- we, we conquered have, all the things that uh, one one big upside anxious. is that we're going to get to listen to some exciting commercial messages, Brendan. Wow, <laughs> this has been this is five way a show about Worcester. We will be back after these important messages. Everyone loves him. He's all alone in the world. His mother and father weighed several hundred pounds, but little Ernie was born to be a mini pig. No bigger than the palm of your hand, no larger than a telephone. Born to go through his entire life as a mini pig. Yes, the smallest pig in all the world. And he is here right now. Come in and see him now. Just one pound of bacon on the hoof. Alive and here now. In the person of Michael Benedetti, Brendan Mellican, and Dave Howland and Heather O'Dell from the Three Cross Brewery Fermentation Co-op Restaurant Tap Room Co-op. Hi guys. <laughs> I'm so glad you you thought through your naming better than Mike did. Yeah, that's, if you had all those words strung together, that would have been terrible. That's you 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 make you make other fermented things besides beer. Is that right? Are you doing kombucha there? Uh, kombucha is a a product that's made by uh, uh, sort of a sub operation, uh, oh. sort of incubated. Uh, okay. Incubated setup. Mm-hmm. It will eventually spin off. But uh, our intent is to uh, add other fermented products down the road, which is where the fermentation comes in. Oh, fantastic. I've the- been doing some home experiments with some different things, so we'll see what happens. Awesome. Yeah. Did you know that mini pigs were a totally made up thing? Um, not until he was done talking. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't even exist. Like, you could, there was a point in time where you could go to a fair and see a mini pig or and pay money to see it's it just or newborn, buy one. It's just a newborn pig. Just a baby pig. Just if you buy pig. it, you're going to regret it unless you want a giant pig. Yeah, it's just like a scam, like a pet rock. Like, it's not really a pet. It's a rock. But, you know, you market it right. People give you money for stuff. Brent, yeah. Do, Brendan, do we want to talk about... Uh, huge amounts of cash being left in buildings. Do we want to talk about bus ridership? Do we want to talk about the radio business? Or do we want to talk about property taxes? I want to talk about all those things. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this first one here. 
By Melissa Hansen's reporting at Mass Live, we have a story of Worcester restaurateurs, not these restaurateurs, pleading guilty in federal court to laundering drug money. In one case, we have $200,000 cash in a storage locker, and in another, we have $330,000 cash kept in a toolbox in a church. And these stories, Brendan, provide circumstantial evidence backing up one of my favorite Worcester stories, the story of the house money, a story which hinges on the question, do people just leave hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash unattended? The answer is yes. Yes, they do. According to what they've said in federal court, they absolutely do. Yeah. This I, I've told you this story before, Brendan, but I don't think I've told these guys. I don't think I've told this on the radio before. But you should. Because I always kind of doubted that. Well, so, you know, I know, I know a lot of people in um, – I don't know what scene you would call it, you know, like a sort of street drug scene in Worcester. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, people tell me stories, and I don't believe them, and I believe some of them, and some of them are good stories, and some of them are bad stories. This is a story a dude told me, and I got a couple of people to independently confirm the general outline, so I'm confident in telling this. And he called the story the story of the house money. And he was surprised I didn't even realize this had happened, that a couple of years ago, he was went into an abandoned house in uh, sort of the urban core of Worcester. Mm -hmm. And there he finds in a bag $100,000 cash. Makes perfect sense. And he says that part of him thought, you know, I could buy a house in Florida with this money. Yeah, that's rational. And then part of him thought, and he, as an active drug addict, who has lots of friends who are active drug addicts, we could just spend three months buying drugs and getting high 24-7. And I think that and he is, went for the second one. Yeah, and, no, that's the appropriate Worcester take on finding $100,000 <laughs> in an abandoned building. Because you know what? I mean, and, and you're laughing, but I think deep down this guy probably took a step back and said, yeah, I could buy a condo in Florida, but then there's property taxes. I'm going to have to pay for rental management companies. Like, this becomes a burden over time, and that $100,000 is going to get you so far. Three months, $100,000 gets you a really, really good time in Worcester. You know, I think of all of our many, I think of all of our many uh, uh, folk tales and legends around a drug deal gone bad. Yeah. We're finding a lot of money. We're talking about a simple plan. We're talking about no country for old men, mm-hmm. right? And all of these are stories where people buy the money and then they're like careful and they think it out and they put it in a place and they have a plan and then eventually everybody dies. Turns out people are just taking it's fresh cursed. bills, putting them in a toolbox, and leaving them at the local church parking right. lot. Whereas if you just immediately go out and buy a bunch of drugs and get super wasted, even if like a crazy hitman comes to kill you, you'll be unaware of that. It's you have of, a happy ending yeah, either way. No, and, and the weird thing to really think about is like, so, you know, barring, where does everyone just everyone else just put their money, right? Like you assume it's in the bank or something, right? You but, put it in the bank, you put it in stocks, you you maybe buy a share of a fermentation co-op. But do you, do you just put it in a toolbox in a random church parking lot? I don't know. Like you don't. I, I don't, guess people are doing this. Apparently people are though. Like I'm amazed at, at the sort of like the complete lack of thought that goes into where you're going to hide all your drug money. You know, I want to ask the listeners at home, if you've ever found $100,000 plus in cash on Worcester unattended and just taken it, and you're willing to, you know, risk your life by telling us this on the radio, go ahead and give us a call. Yeah. Our number is 508-471-5265. And these can't be the only two people that have ever found a giant bundle of cash in the city of Worcester, right? Because that means no. that, like, There's, just by chance you stumbled across one of them, and by chance the DA, the DA stumbled on the other one. Like, it must happen all the time. It's got to be happening every year that people we are We've got to start this. hanging out in a better quality of abandoned house in but downtown Worcester. But where could it be? It could be in a toolbox in a church. It could be in a storage locker. It could be in a bag in an abandoned building. Hank, we're in... In a former bank vault right now. Have you done your due diligence and like gone He's through all the ceiling tiles? And oh, well, you know what? Say. I have been. I have been through these vaults. These vaults are quite fascinating. Yeah. Nothing. Zero. Nothing. Zilch. All right. That's this is actually an old bank vault. 
This is a hundred percent what you would say if you found a hundred thousand dollars in here. You would, never, you would never. You would never. You would never say. There is one unopened. I mean, I didn't mean to be the one to let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> yeah. There is one unopened. An Al Capone style. I'm gonna drill the back in my. Uh, well, <laughs> go ahead. What else do you have? Um. Oh, anyway, I'm so happy we got to talk about that. We have a couple of minutes before the break. Um. Um. How many minutes do we have? I'll just read this real quick. Uh, via Boing Boing and Wolf Richter, we have the headline, Clear Channel took over America's local radio. Bain Capital took over Clear Channel. Clear Channel went bankrupt. And in fact, last month, iHeartMedia, a.k.a. Clear Channel, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. This is all the fallout of a 2008 leveraged buyout of Clear Channel by Bain Capital and Thomas H. Lee Partners. And as you might expect of a deal financed in part with $18 billion of debt in the year 2008, it did not go well. We've seen this happen with so many companies, most recently Toys R Us, where I think that we all sort of hear the stories and we initially think, oh, this is just the internet doing in the radio business or the toy business, but it's really them borrowing a lot of money at the wrong time and then having like no flexibility going forward because they're, you know. The but, but also doing it with intent because in both cases, you're talking about equity firms that make their money by uh, overextending the available credit to a business that's already in trouble. Yes. So yes. It's, it's totally intentional. It's, oh, like, yeah. it's malfeasance. People but are it's making, like, I mean, Maybe maybe Bob Toys R Us is not making a lot of money off of this, but Bob Bain is really. His name was Joffrey, uh, and there was no Bob anywhere in that <laughs> His family. His name was, was Joffrey. The giraffe. You remember, remember the? Him. Of course, I was. <laughs> of course, I remember that guy. Jeez. Oh, that. Next guy. thing you tell, you tell me, you never went to playoff arcade to play skee ball with your grandma in '83, Mike. I I never went to any arcade with my grandma. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is 508 Worcester's Libertarian Voice, and we will be back after these important messages with uh, with more. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye, and dark within. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye, and dark within. This is Brendan Mellican. This is Heather O'Dell and Dave Howland. I am Michael Benedetti, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. We were just talking about the bus during the break. We were talking about the bus. We're going to keep talking about the bus, and then we'll talk about some really exciting news in Worcester iconography. Yeah. Game-changing. So, so you, I don't know if you guys know that because of a, a relatively fairly small shortfall in our uh, transit funding budget uh, for the coming year, the Worcester bus might have to like cut a lot of bus schedules. And last year, we did our first cutting of bus schedules and rising raising of fees in like a number of years, and we saw a 15% drop in ridership that year. And so the idea of cutting bus schedules more, potentially we're talking about another 15% drop in ridership. But it's not just Worcester, Brendan. At the Washington Post, we have the headline, Falling Transit Ridership Poses an Emergency for Cities, Experts Fear. Last year, transit ridership fell in 31 of 35 major metro areas in the U.S. Exceptions included Seattle, Phoenix, and Houston, all of whom overhauled or otherwise expanded their systems. And Brendan, I looked at the study that inspired this article, and I don't really see any insights for Worcester. Well, it, it, what's funny, and I think this is one of those things that, like, you know, we have a bad habit when it comes to making decisions in local government to just look at superficial data. Like, what you, the way you laid that out. So the city cut bus uh, schedules last year, right? Yes. And then they looked at the data, and they said, hey, yes. there's fewer people riding the bus. Yes. Like, well, no kidding. You cut 
yeah. buses. Like, how, how do you expect to increase? Like you, what you just finished that that statement from that news story with that, like the cities that saw increased growth overhauled their systems, did a better job of uh, of data mining to find out when they should be, be providing buses and where, and then they built their systems around that need. And they, oh wow, they saw an increased use in ridership. Like yes, we li- we're in a city where like if they switched on the buses to only be running at from like 2 a.m. Uh, to 4 a.m. Uh, and only on streets that start with L, uh, the city would still turn around and say, yeah, this is crazy. Nobody's riding the bus. Like, what, what are we going to do? Like, there's no reason to have a bus anymore. Nobody's using it. You know, Houston was one of the ex- one of the exceptions, and they, like, apparently completely overhauled their transit system. Mm-hmm. They almost, like, started from square one. They were, like, throwing out the old routes, throwing out the old mindset. Right. They, had a, they had consultants yeah. come in and tell them a new way to do it, and that's what they did. And they saw an increase in ridership, even though they totally changed the – like, a big increase in ridership. Um, and what, Houston's yeah. in the heart of oil country, right? Like, so it's a totally driver-based. Houston is yeah, one of those really yeah. cool, weird cities where, like, they don't have any zoning regs in the city, so you can kind of like develop however and wherever you want to. So the city's totally become dependent upon car ridership. To have that city in that list in particular, Seattle, like, we can just laugh at hipsters and say, yeah, they're all getting back on the bus. They'll get tired of that soon. They'll shave their beards and they'll go back to driving. Houston, there's something funny happening if, like, you actually have massive numbers of people. Uh, hopping on buses for the first time in Houston. Well, you know, it's interesting. The one, the so Uber is one factor that's potentially causing all this drop in ridership. But I think one one even bigger factor seems to be car ownership, especially among people who don't have any money. Otherwise. To be fair, Mike, we won't know that Uber is the cause until Gary is done with his survey the, uh, no. of cab drivers. That's you know, give, give Gary some time. You this know, Brendan, I've come here to chew bubble gum and mock Gary Rosen, and I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> Um, the other thing, though, is like is, is like car ownership that like first like it's getting cheaper to own a car in this country, yeah. and which means that more people who are poor are owning cars, sure. and they're like, if you can afford a car, hell yeah, you're gonna have a car rather than ride the bus. And so this has been part of the drop in car in in, uh, in bus ridership yeah, in but, most cities. I mean, and that's totally fine. As someone who's owned a car their you know most of their adult life, it's it's a terrible thing. Like there's just no upside to owning a car other than like that random that rare moment where like you really really need to do something right now and. Uh, I'm gonna show that. I'm gonna get you to watch a TV show called Knight Rider, Brendan, which is gonna change your opinion about owning cars. Yeah, I don't think I ever <laughs> missed an episode, and I yeah, no, I'm with you. That's my, I never, I've never had a talking car though. I think that's probably part of my problem as well too. I gotta start looking at more Tesla options, but you I know, like older cars. Like I said, reading this did not give me any real insights into what we should do. Because there's mean, no insights there. That's the whole point. That's what I'm saying. It's frustrating. Like, we should put more money into it. That's the only insight, which well, is like, well, great. Like that's part of it, but also better understanding needs, right? Like again, the, the thing that I've always thrown at of course it's anecdotal but i think it, it's it's a relevant anecdote is like over in my neck of the woods uh and the the, the tannic area of the city where you've got a significant portion of the population that's driving every morning down to union station or getting on the pike right to get a train into boston mm-hmm. our buses the, the schedule that they're on in the morning doesn't line up with the schedule of the commuter rail heading into boston like that's a really really simple thing that you and i've been talking about and i know a handful of people that like work at city hall pay attention to us right we've been mentioning that on and off for probably eight years now the right. reality is it's still a problem right and and if, if the people at the wrta can't look at something that simple and say hey over here we're spending a ton of money on trains but nobody's really using them and then over here like we've got a lack of ridership and buses like how could we tie those two things together 
well, I don't know, just maybe look at scheduling. Like that, that's a really, really easy thing to do. Talk to the, 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 the stores, the retailers that have uh, bus stops in front of them and see where their biggest influxes of customers are, right? There's not a single retailer in Worcester that couldn't tell you when their peak uh, and, and flat hours are uh, for customer traffic. If there are bus stops in front of them, like maybe that's a way that you want to start reconfiguring scheduling. And again, there's the easy one that, you know, we've talked about uh, ad nauseum. Stop having public school buses. We, we should be issuing uh, pu public bus passes to every child in the Worcester Public Schools annually. That's refreshed uh, on the first day of school. And over the course of 10 years, you would cultivate an entire new generation of public transit users and save the city around $16 million in the process, which is what we spend on public schools. Heather, school buses. Heather, but. you were nodding your head at some of that. What did you possibly was... agree with that Brendan was saying? <laughs> well, um, I think that more uh, more people should be using the bus. Yeah. That people have just gotten used to being able to drive everywhere. Um, nobody walks to the grocery store anymore. I remember walking to the grocery store, you know, even into my mid twenties because mm -hmm. I lived within a mile. Um, and you know, I was a poor young person who like couldn't afford to keep putting gas in my car for silly little trips like that. So you walk to the grocery store. Um, kids don't take the bus to go to different areas of the city. Their parents drive them to play dates in the same areas or they go off to some organized thing. Kids aren't traveling on their own. I remember taking the bus downtown all the time when I was a kid to go to the arcades downtown or to the, go to the movies. Um, and nobody's doing that, so. Yeah, that's a, the, just the, the the general different attitude towards childhood is a huge thing, a huge change from back in the day. Which is crazy when you think about it, because when we were kids, in the same time frame, right, and we would take the bus down to, when my grandmother stopped taking me to uh, the playoff arcade, I needed to start taking the bus down to the Silver Ball uh, downtown, that was at the height of the crack epidemic. There were literally bullets flying everywhere in the city of Worcester. We've never had, like, a safer city to live in, but if you talk to parents, it's like... Well, that's because you could buy Chinese throwing stars downtown. You, you, back then, you could buy anything. That's fantastic. Butterfly knives. Mike, you would have been in heaven as, as a... When I was... A, I mean, I always point this out. When I was a kid, kids brought throwing stars and butterfly knives to school every day. Kids brought firearms to school every day. Yeah, no you, kid got shot. No kid got stabbed. You grew up in the woods. That's a little bit different. That was... <laughs> I was going to say, you change the story all the time. It used to just be hunting rifles and shotguns during deer season. Now there's there was ninjas too. running around. There was there's, that, too. There were samurais in the hallways. It's, I think you just took that to a whole other level. I was just talking to my father. Kim's was quite the place, though. That was, was a special, spot. special spot. I was yeah. just talking to my father the other day about Worcester's you know, reduced crime stats that were at like some sort of like all-time low in crime or whatever in Worcester. And he was like, well, you know, here in West Virginia where every single person owns a gun, things are also going really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brendan, one of the many strengths Worcester has as a city is a really good city seal. The heart and laurel branches. It looks official. It's elegant. I know many people who have a tattoo of this seal. Yeah. Do you have a, You don't have a tattoo of this no, seal. No, I have a tattoo of uh, the outline of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts without Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket because I figure sea level change will probably wipe them off and it saves me the, the money necessary on blazer. Uh, do, you know, do you know anybody who has a tattoo of like the state of Massachusetts flag? Um, no, but that was one, when I was having this done, that was something I was thinking about, but we were also in the process of changing it. That was, they were, they, they were changing the flag. Well, cause the, the native American dude in the middle there, yeah, like they right. were, they were getting a little weird about, um, him being there. Right. Yeah. 
Like, why is he there? Yeah, why it was he, like the old uh, mass. He's suspicious. We've changed a lot. You know, it's funny. We're we're definitely in like a, in a realm now, like today, where we're you know uh, mascot changeovers is like a, a yes. big. We've done that a lot in Massachusetts over the years. When I was sure. like, do you remember the old? Were you around for the old Mass Pike? Uh, logo? This is getting so off of what I want to talk. I know, about. but it, why we, are we doing this? Do you remember the old Mass Pike logo? No, it was an awesome like hat with like an arrow. Oh, the pilgrim through. hat. The pilgrim hat. Did with it the have arrow an arrow? Through, and an arrow through it. Yeah, that was, that's hilarious. Well, I, I can see why people took offense to it, but as we always like to point out, we wouldn't have Worcester if it wasn't for Worcester being burnt that to the ground. Be the, that should be the most appropriate city sale of Worcester, of like yeah. the city where if you don't leave, you'll be decapitated and your children will be kidnapped. Yeah, and then we're going to burn And then, then your the house village. Your house is going to be burned to the ground either way. Yeah, you can leave or not. It doesn't matter if there's $100,000 in cash. In anyway, we have a great seal, though. We have a great seal. Like, so many things about the city are tacky. Our seal is really sweet. Well, so... Um, Anyway, in one of these things which is kept way under the radar, and I don't know who in city government masterminded this. It was like Che Anderson or Gary Rosen of these types. Uh, This week, the city unveiled a new official city seal. Mm. And you would think this is one of these stupid things where Worcester is just like throwing stuff in the garbage that they should be like putting up on a flagpole. But actually, this new city seal is really good. I want to put this here for our our viewers at home. I don't even know if you can see this on the little little screen. Can you see it closer to the camera? Oh, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. So this is a this is a seal, which is basically like the the heart and the laurel branches, or at least a green circle that's like yeah. the laurel branches. It has the turtle boy on it. It has uh, a bunch of figures of sort of the founding fathers of Worcester. Um, I think Daniel Gukin, the missionary. I think Matunas is one of these people. And it's just a really great reminder of our history. It has a three-decker on there. Yeah, most people don't realize how many of Worcester's founders were actually juggalos. I want to pass this to you guys. I thought this was really good, Brendan. Yeah. That's fantastic. And, you know, the other thing that I think was uh, circulating is that David Rushford might actually be coming out of retirement specifically to protect that seal uh, with the same legal might that he – Oh, you mean you think that they're going to crack down on people's using the new, the new seal? I would even like be worried having that on your computer right now. I mean, that the, the city takes uh, our seal so seriously that, uh, yeah, I, watch your back, Mike. This is pretty exciting. Um, oh, finally we're on the last page. I have a weird – I have a <laughs> – I have a weird recent paper related to affordable housing. It's by Jeremy Moulton, uh, Benny Waller, and Scott Wentland. They looked at two statewide ballot measures in Virginia, which cut property taxes for disabled vets and senior citizens. We have a similar deal in Worcester, where if you are someone on a fixed income, Mm -hmm. you can petition, I guess, the city, and it's very likely the city will say you don't have to pay taxes or you could get a reduction in property taxes. Uh, And this paper showed that soon after Election Day, when these measures passed, meaning that seniors and disabled vets would have lower property taxes, the price of senior housing, quote, rose sharply, as did the price of housing in areas that had uh, dense numbers of disabled vets or seniors, whereas housing prices in other areas didn't really change. What am I supposed to take from that? I think what you're supposed to take from that... the economic argument is complicated, and I don't understand it. That's what I'm going to take from it. I mean, I think what you're supposed to take from it is something along the lines that it's – for someone who is ex- an existing senior in existing senior housing, mm-hmm. it helps you. Sure. For someone who is a senior thinking about moving, maybe doesn't help you because now suddenly the price of those taxes is being reflected in your property taxes. Right. 
And I'm not sure if this is giving people an incentive to build more senior housing or whether it's a disincentive to build more senior housing. It's maybe an incentive because you're like, I can sell the senior housing for more than I could last year. So maybe I'm going to do that development of senior housing. But there is an increase in seniors. So maybe that's where the smart money should be uh, laid is in building, developing yeah. new senior housing. Yeah. Boomers, man. Boomers refuse to go away. Yeah. So hopefully, so hopefully, you, I mean, so hopefully, I mean, you see an increase in the in the amount of senior housing that's available mm-hmm. long term. Short term, what you see is that if you're a senior uh, in Virginia, you're kind of pumped because your taxes are low. And but if you're like thinking about becoming a or, or buying buying comparable housing, but you're not a senior, you're not a disabled vet, you're just like, oh, this is too expensive. There's something else to be said there too, where I, I think you'd have to look, and we we talk about this a lot locally, where when we're discussing property taxes in that half of the year. Um, so not knowing what the value of that housing was uh, prior to the lift, like where, where did that, where, where did housing uh, in terms of share of income uh, fall for those two demographics before the change in property taxes, right? Because it's very possible all you saw was a lift in the value that was then coming up to what the market was willing to tolerate in the first place. So, and that was only offset by the decrease uh, burden on the tax side. So, like, think about it in Worcester, right? I have no idea what you just said. So, like, in in Worcester, we always bemoan a high property tax rate, right, without looking at the fact that our housing value and our stock is so depreciated because of lack of demand that even though the the number that represented by a percentage seems really, really high, what you actually pay in cash every year for your property taxes is relatively low because the property hasn't seen any sort of real increase since 2008. Just because Worcester is just a, a kind of a bargain to live in, basically? It's always been a bargain. So, you know, and we keep playing games with the numbers on the municip- on the city side where we raise the tax rate, both commercial and residential side. The commercial base keeps fleeing. We just saw that happen this week with Prime Metals announcing that they were leaving Worcester and going down to uh, Sutton specifically because of an increase uh, on the commercial tax rate. But on the residential side, even though the percentage goes up as well, if in a 10-year period of time you don't see a a lift in the, the property value itself, then actually that what you're paying in taxes is going down, right? You, you can raise the, the number, go from 10 to 13%, but if the value of the property you're paying that 13% on is actually shrinking relative to the economy itself, then you're paying less money. I keep getting distracted. I was just thinking about prime metals during the whole second part. That would be an awesome transformer. It would, be a cool, it would be a cool band name too, or maybe a, a metal venue in Worcester. I don't know. Hi, Heather and Dave. How are you? <laughs> good. Good. We're going to go to a commercial break in about in about a minute, but I just want to say hi. Thanks for being on the show again. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we need to talk about. I hope about. so. You get a whole, whole, whole other segment to fill. Why don't you fill another page, Mike? I don't know. Dead I'm sorry. Air. I, didn't, that was, I kind of attacked you Dead there. I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to do that. That wasn't nice. So how are things going at Three Cross this year? <laughs> Things are going very well. Um, we've seen an increase in the amount of people coming through the door on a Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, our expanded hours overall have really shown us um, that our growth is consistent. It's been good. It's. Mm-hmm. And what are the uh, the hours for the store now? We already talked about where you are. What, when when should people come there? Well, we're open on Wednesday and Thursdays from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Friday and Saturday, I'm there from noontime till 10, and then Sunday, noontime to 6. 
And any anything coming? I know I've been down there for a few events over the last year or so. Anything on the calendar uh, coming up? Uh, we've got some music this weekend with James Keys. Fantastic. Um, we're having a pierogi pop up sometime soon. That's the end of the month. At the end of the month, yeah. Um, and then we have um, next weekend is the second Friday, so then we'll be having some Jamaican food. Fantastic. Let's go. To, let's go to some important messages. This is 508. We'll be back after this with more Three Cross. <laughs> Live from our alleyway basement studio on Worcester's Main Street, this is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Michael Benedetti. This is Dave Howland. This is Heather the Hellcat Odell, and this is Brendan Mellican. How's everybody doing? That would be the best opening for the Prime Metals ever. (laughs) Welcome to the Prime (laughs) Metals Radio Hour, but it's nothing but (laughs) meta. We only talk about two things on that radio show, Brendan. We talk about this, and we talk about this. <laughs> Heather and Dave, Brendan was, Brendan was asking you during the break about uh, the sort of continued boom in uh, well, craft in, brewing in, in general. Craft brewing. And, I mean, there's there's a lot. It just strikes me that there's a, been. I know we've had some openings in the last month or so. Uh, other breweries and. Um, yeah, I don't know, just locally, regionally, nationally. It, are things still healthy from your perspective in terms of uh, the craft beer world? And uh, Well, I mean, craft beer has been on a pretty crazy growth rate for the yeah. past few years. I think we're starting to see a little bit of a plateau okay. uh, last year and into this year. Um, but I think that uh, plateau is more coming from a little bit of a decline in the larger regional brewers, Okay. where the smaller operations like ours are really still booming. Excellent. Um, and, and now, uh, so I'm not going to pretend to even know what I'm talking about here, but it's something I picked up in passing. Uh, hops, right? Th- there's been some changes in the availability of hops internationally, like when the last growing cycle or two. Isn't that is that kind of the case, or something along those lines? Um, I wouldn't say there's been a change in. Well, there is a change in the availability, but mm-hmm. not because of the supply side. It's, okay. It's more on the demand side. Okay. Uh, it's because there has been this huge uh, uh, growth curve. Is that changing so, at all, what you're seeing for what people are brewing, and not just in the U.S.? Like, is any changes, like, down the pike from the European side of things when it comes to craft beer that could have an impact on American-style craft beer? Uh, well, the hops you're seeing that people want for American mm-hmm. uh, beers are not coming from Europe. They're, they're but are they going to Europe? That's, what I guess, what I was wondering. Oh, is like, uh, is there... That I, I couldn't answer. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> not, no. Not sure. I'm totally making that up. I, I just was curious if, you know, it's the cross-pollination and flavors and styles is one of those things that I find really cool, like the way you start mm-hmm. seeing certain aspects. We were talking earlier off-air about gozes and sours and whatnot and uh, watching uh, people kind of blend styles. That's the one thing I've been curious about is, like, what happens when Europeans start finding, like, really cool hops that are normally only found in American beers, and are they going to blow up the spot and do something really crazy? Like, well, what comes next? Uh, there are... There is a brooding program in, in Germany where they've been uh, playing around with some new varieties, which they aren't quite as punchy as the, the big American hops, but mm-hmm. uh, they're much more interesting than your, or I shouldn't say interesting, they're they're very different from the, your traditional German hops. They're right. much fruitier and, and more of what people are looking for in American beers now. And what's next for... Uh Anything big coming down the line for you folks? Any styles or new beer, new beers that we should be keeping an eye out for? Uh, I mean, 
everything everything I'm doing brewing wise is just sort of a steady evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can never predict when when things are going to change. So. And where are some places? Because we mentioned where they can find you. Where are some places in the city that people can find you other than the former playoff arcade? Sure. Uh, so uh, the Boynton on, mm-hmm. on Highland Street is kind of our one steady tap handle. Thankfully, uh, very close by to myself. Yep. There you go. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and then we do uh, kegs here and there at Birch Tree on, on mm-hmm. uh, Green Street, uh, Dead Horse Hill on Main Street. Okay. And then uh, actually we just just dropped a keg off to uh, Simjang, the new Korean restaurant. Fantastic. Partner too. One of the nicest bar programs I think I've seen in the city so far. There's a really nice setup over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike, have you been to Simjang yet? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add? Well, I just want to say, I just want to talk about, uh, you know, I just want to talk about, I feel like things are going good for the show, Brendan. Oh, thank you, Mike. I don't know if we figured out how to do a, a good show, like some of our classic good shows yet, but we're working on it. We're getting closer. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with us, and it's because Dave and Heather are here, and we should just leave. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll see you later. We this give is... them our... <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, well, you know, and I want to say, Brendan, like, I think that this new... this We are in this weird uh, basement studio mm-hmm. in a building on Main Street that you have to get to going down an alley, yep. which I think is great. I think it's going to get people in the right mindset when they're on the show. And again, like Unity Radio is a small operation, but it's not bankrupt. Mm-hmm. It's not billions of dollars in debt. Yeah. <laughs> Things are looking up. Well, you know, I think there's something we said too, Mike. Our our past in uh, doing this show has involved snow caves. Uh, <laughs> we've done this show in in a canoe. Uh, we've done this show in the water, actually underwater. You did a show uh, one partially t- submerged. One one episode of the show, one of the guests was involuntarily given a Buddhist baptism. Yeah, that that happened. Here we have uh, consistent lighting. We have an actual engineer with decades worth of experience behind him. There yes. are microphones. Uh, and there's a 4K camera sitting here that isn't like you recreating terrible scenes from the Blair Witch Project that uh, ended up on the cutting room floor. So this is the reality, which is that the show was never actually that great, but like because it was so lo-fi, your brain kind of added this part yeah. of it that made it like it's like this thing with like these movie stars now. They go on the Tonight Show, and it used to be they were kind of blurry, so you were like, oh, George Clooney has amazing skin, and now when you can like see it super HD, unless they're very careful, you're like, George Clooney looks like this like the surface of the moon, man. It was like, I always thought it was kind of like if Terrence McC kind of couldn't find any hallucinogens but really needed to, t- to put together a program, your, what you did with the camera was the, what Terrence McKenna would come up with. That's yeah. No, we only get, well, thanks for being on the show, <laughs> Dave Howland and Heather O'Dell, cooperative business owners, brewers, people who have a cool place where there's pop-up restaurants and you can go and have a bite to eat. You should 100% go to an event at Three Cross if you've never gone. Also and look into buying a share of and the, uh, buy the co-op. A, and buy one of these certificates. If you're thinking about getting a tattoo in the coming week, you know, the new city seal is out there. You can yeah. get both of them if you want to. Old and new. And whatever, you, get, you get two biceps. William Shatner's not coming, coming to Worcester tonight. I guess it's sold out, but you know Hank Stoltz. People who know Hank Stoltz, just ask him. He can hook you up. I'm, we'll remain Mike Benedetti for the next week. This will remain Brendan Malkin for the next week. And uh, we'll remain looking forward to talking to you again. Thanks for having me back, Mike. Bye, guys.